Hey folks, the trunks are back. Welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince. The trunks are back, the trunks are back, the trunks are back, the trunks are back, the trunks are back. Uh, oh! Yeah. Um, They're good again. They are good again. Uh, first, first comment I saw in the first article that I looked at had someone commenting about how bad the trunks are and how we oh. need to get rid of them. So that was great. If you don't like the trunks, you're a cop. Um, <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Did, did you log off after that? Is, is that your final statement? Yeah, I just decided I wouldn't do better than that. Okay. <laughs> I'm uh, serious though. Like the trunks, the trunks just never. With without the trunks, Superman has never looked quite right. Like. There have been times where he's looked acceptable. Certain artists do him without the trunks better than others. Yes. But he's never looked quite right. The belt, no matter how big they make the dang belt, it never does enough to break up the blue from his torso to his legs. He's always got this big blue like crotch bulge that's just screaming for a red pair of undies. And and we got it back. And that's the true rebirth here. It wasn't. It wasn't Wally West. It wasn't. You know, it's the undies, man. Yeah. Um, I feel like the best Superman that's been drawn since he lost the undies were the ones where that whole cross was just in shadow. So you can imagine <laughs> if you want to that he's wearing the trunks. Yeah, it's Tomasi. Yeah, exactly. Gleason, Gleason, yeah, Gleason, Gleason does, does that. Yeah. Um, Vince, check your chat box here for one second. Little boy. Um, yes. Okay, yes, cool. sir. Uh, inside baseball. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, you uh, just showed me a dick pic. I did. Is what yes. That was. Um, so I. Uh, yeah. So Action Comics number one thousand was announced. Um, there was a lot in the announcement. The first. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm saying this with with respect to our friend Greg Matasevich, the second ever Brian Bendis story at DC. He wrote a, uh, I believe, a Batman Adventures story, maybe back in two thousand. Um, Bendis. Bendis did yes. Bendis. Yes. Brian Michael Bendis? Brian Michael Bendis. He wrote Batman. Yes. He wrote Batman? He did, I believe. And he's writing a Superman story now. I believe. Brian Bendis. Brian Michael Bendis. I'm not positive. You're not positive? I'm not positive. (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't keep it going any longer. That, I was wondering when you were gonna break. <laughs> that was that was a very good Bendis riff, but we had to we had to move on to something else. But yeah, um, some other notable things in that issue, just like in in Action Comics number nine, Richard Donner, the director of the first uh, first one and a half Superman movies, um, is writing a story in it. Uh, Jeff Johns is writing a story in it. There's a bit of unused Kurt Swan art. That Marv Wolfman is writing a uh, a story around, and uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be a pretty intense eighty pages. There's a lot of talent involved, and uh, it also it, it seems like uh, it's gonna either be wrapping up the storylines that are happening in action in Superman ahead of it, or at least are going to be addressing those stories. Um, you know, it's uh. It's gonna be a pretty big. It's gonna be a pretty big deal. 
I don't know about you guys. I'm very excited about the issue. Oh, I'm very excited. More so than I, th- I think anything <laughs> at DC right now. Um, yeah, I- I'm really excited for the milestone. I'm also I'm excited for the undies. Obviously, I'm excited. I, you know me. I'm not like necessarily excited for Bendis writing something that I'm going to have to read. <laughs> But like, but I'm excited for again what him being there means for DC Comics, and you know the the I feel like with him coming in, it's it's gonna represent something of a story sea change. Like that's a good that'll be a good place for potentially you know Tomasi to leave Superman or for Jurgens to leave Action, whichever one whichever one supposedly Bendis is gonna be on. It's just it's going to be some sort of sea change, you know, good or bad, and I'm I'm always excited about change, I think. So, yeah, and, and I I just feel like, you know, it's one of those numbers that almost seemed inconceivable, uh, you know, even though we knew it was coming eventually. It's just, you know, US comics don't typically get to a thousand issues. And so it 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 feels super momentous from that standpoint, and when you when you bring that collection of talent in there and i have to say like it's a nice it's a nice collection of um some modern right like you know you got you got uh, jim lee illustrating the bendis story you've got both scott snyder and tom king writing stories in there but you also have people like uh, louise simonson who was a huge part of the 90s superman run writing a story and you know marv wolfman didn't do a ton of superman stuff but he's certainly an iconic creator of a certain era for, for dc and it seems like they're really trying to show not just Superman's past and present, but also DC's past and present in, in these choices. It really does seem like they are just doubling down on, you know, this is our most important character. This is a milestone we never thought we'd reach, but we're here. Let's go all in and celebrate it. And that's really cool. I think so many times comics are reticent to admit their age, and it's always about being mm-hmm. new and exciting. And it's nice to see them just really double down on this 1,000th issue. Yeah, it's momentous as hell. Yeah. And what's interesting, too, is that, you know, while there there is a a little bit of sort of weird math you have to do, you have to add up the New 52 stories and all that, it actually reached 1,000 earlier than it probably should have because... For 10 months in, I think it was 88 and 89 or 87 and 88, the book went weekly. And uh, and then the last two years or so, it's been going twice monthly. So it's actually reached 1,000, something like three years earlier than uh, statistically it should have. And so um, it's just fun. It's going to be a fun event, I think. And uh, yeah, the Indies are back. Um. A couple of things I want to talk about uh, just today as we're recording this. The DC solicits dropped. Um, we get a, uh, a, a an arc within Deathstroke called Deathstroke versus Batman, where uh, hilariously it appears that, uh, according to this issue at least, Deathstroke is uh, Damian Wayne's actual biological father, which is, you know, a, a super weird, fun comic premise. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fine with it. And... Uh, 
It's also like doubling down on the fact that um, that Ben Affleck is actually Deathstroke. <laughs> yes, <it> is. <laughs> Batman Five Superman, folks. You heard it here first. Um, <laughs> Baby's day out. Uh, but yeah, so that's happening. Uh, Trinity is canceled with issue twenty-two, which is so. Here's what's weird about that, and we're gonna talk about Trinity in a little bit. Um, but what's weird about that to me is that they double shipped it for March and April to get to the conclusion sooner, and I don't, I don't, I, yeah. I presume that's just because they recognize that the comic isn't very good and these issues were already done, and so might as well just get them out there and be done with it. But I wonder if that's partly for a storyline reason that there's something that's going to be falling out of that. The the solicit for the last issue teases the death of Steve Trevor in it. Or at least Steve Trevor's mm. life being in the wings, being you know waiting in the wings here. So I don't know if that's uh, if that's the reason that they're rushing it out is that they want to start something new in Wonder Woman, you know, come May, and they need Steve Trevor's sort of uh, status quo to be set. I, I have some theories about the solicits in general that are along those uh-huh. lines. First of all, how is Trinity ever going to get to a thousand at this rate? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, you have to add in the other two iterations of it, so... Right, yep, yep. Um, and one of those was a weekly, yeah, so right? Yeah, we're probably so... at like 100 and 140 <laughs> issues, so, you know. Yeah. No, so my theory about some of the solicits are that... So did you see that Doomsday Clock is going every yes. two months? So that's bi-monthly, well, right? Bi-monthly means both twice a month and once a month and what's every two months, right so. that's so let's come up with a uh couldn't you say semi-monthly is that six times a year sure. six yes. times a year so first of all i can't believe gary frank can't do a yeah, monthly who would have seen that coming um but i think you know there there's been a lot of stuff teased about how um Doomsday Clock is going to be set a year in the future of the current DCU, and the DCU is going to eventually catch up to it. So what that means is that there's going to be something that happens in in most of the other books, probably not all of them, but, you know, all the books that matter, all the books that quote-unquote really count, that catches them up to this status quo that we're seeing unfold in Doomsday Clock – and for that to happen and for the book to go every other month, they're going to have to do some like fill-ins and things. Yeah, you're, you're starting to and see that. And I think that, you're, all, yeah. you're already starting to see that by having like the Jackson Lansing, uh, Colin Kelly fill-ins and the, the um, Mike Morisi on – what was he yeah. on? Nightwing? One yeah. of the night – yeah. So I think that's going to happen more and more just so that – some of these books, because I could see Nightwing being one of the books that's touched by Doomsday Clock, considering Batman's a major, right. you know. So it'll be interesting. That That's my theory as to why you're seeing these names pop up on books that they're not normally on. Um, they're going to have to stretch this, this two-year, quote-unquote, rebirth story period out a little bit now. Yeah, I, I wonder if this is the last delay we're going to see on Doomsday Clock. Well, yeah, we got. We might have a final crisis situation. On how long does final crisis actually go on for? Ooh, I, I, I up. 
I don't know. All I know is Doug Monkey had to do the last issue. He did because... the last like two or three issues, didn't he? Oh, did nah, he? I... He he finished issue six and did and he seven. did all of issue okay. seven. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Okay. Uh, Final Crisis issue one came out May a uh, May twenty eighth of two thousand eight, and issue seven. Came out. It had to be 2010. No, uh, no, January 2009. So that's not very oh, long. That's not bad. That's like eight months. Oh, I thought that's I like was... that's exactly eight months. Okay, I thought I was out of college at that point. So the timing's a little murky there. Um, but well. I guess that's right. This is coming from Comicsology. I figured they probably know. They would know, right? Um, so one of the things that has spun out of our interview with Dan DiDio that out on the show is um, that he mentioned that there is a creative team in waiting for Shazam, and you know that that um, you know they were just waiting for their availability. And people have been posting on on our comments on our Twitter since last week a lot of theories about this. And I, I said for years I thought it was going to be. Uh, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, but after seeing how slow this is going, I, I think that's 100% wrong at this point. And Vince, we talked about this a little bit last time, um, but I really feel like with Gary Frank's speed here, I don't know if he'll ever be on a monthly book again. Yeah, yeah. Especially as he's had success with the Batman Earth One stuff, that if he'll just you know mm-hmm. do more of that. Um. This isn't specifically like DC Rebirth related. Did you guys see the Astro City news from today? I yeah. did. Yeah. So Astro City, for those that aren't aware, uh, is going to stop being a monthly comic and start being just a series of, of original graphic novels. And uh, I wonder if we're not going to see more creator-owned titles going that way. Um, I think I'd honestly be kind of okay with that. Um, cause Astro City is a book I'm really far behind on, but when I do read it, I usually read it as a trade right, anyway. Right. Um, I think, yeah, honestly, I think, I think this is just a personal opinion. I think almost every, um, non Cape comic reads is more satisfying to read in a collected edition. But yeah. that's just that's just me personally. I can buy that for the most part. Yeah, I think the the you know the one the one creator owned book that I stuck with for the long haul. I'm behind on it now by a little bit, but it was East of West, and I, I felt like that one read really well in individual issues because from issue to issue the character focus would be there. It would take it would take place almost entirely in a separate part of the of America, mm-hmm. you know, that one did really well, but for the, yeah, I agree with you, Zach. For the most part, I find myself like, yeah, just wanting them in like four to six issue chunks. I think it's also, it's a little bit unfair of us to expect creators working on their own schedule it, it, without the machine of DC or Marvel behind them to produce at the same rate. It's almost like if you looked at an independent film and held it against the the uh, 
the sort of production schedule of a blockbuster, right? It's just a different beast altogether, mm -hmm. but we tend to conflate them as being one and the same. So I think it's a good move for Astro City, and I wonder if this is a result, and I have no knowledge of this, if Astro City sells really well in trade, and if they're just thinking, well, if it sells really well in trade, then why are we bothering with rushing a schedule out for floppies? Let's just do it in trade. Right, yeah. I I would... I mean, I would think that I feel I feel like it's a book that probably its readership with how long it's been going and how a lot of people probably jumped into it or um, have gotten into it through mm -hmm. trades. I, I can see that being a lot more attractive, but not to spend too much time on the book. But um, what do you guys think about the the evoking the number 52 and the multiple earths on the cover. I mean, I am so far behind on Astro City that I, I can't I can't comment cogently on it. I do think it's 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 a weird bit of DC synchronicity for a book that has never really cared about that. Yeah, that's interesting cuz that is very much the image. I'm looking at it for the first time here. That's very much the <laughs> the image of like the the infinite worlds, mm -hmm. or or how the how the multiverse is portrayed. Yeah, it's these overlapping Earths. That's yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if it's going to amount to anything like that, but yeah, um, yeah. That's I don't know if there's anything else in the solicits we have to to really cover. Is there? Um, check out Soliciting Multiversity DC next Wednesday so. from uh, multiversitycomics.com um, I wonder what number one is going to be uh, I don't know yet we'll see probably that really awesome JRJR cover on the yeah. silencer <laughs> that's definitely it I, I legitimately really like that <laughs> cover I think it's a good cover um I hate to break this to you, but I think you're a good cover, Zach. I don't even know how to take that. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's take it right to the books. See what I did there? All right. Yeah. I, that that's that's called it a is. segue. It is. Uh, it's Joe... one of those you know those things you <laughs> I, ride I around say Joe on. Joe Bluth used to get around that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's talk about Aquaman number thirty-two. Uh, we, get to, we get King Shark on the cover there. It's always nice to see some King Shark action happening here. Uh, this book is written by Dan Abnett. It is illustrated by, um, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Ricardo Federici. There we go. Ricardo yeah. Federici. I was going to say a very Italian-sounding name. Um, but yeah, so this is the... Uh... Mark Maron. <laughs> this issue did something kind of, kind of interesting. So we had seen a couple months ago the solicit for... Uh, Mira, Queen of Atlantis, the miniseries. And I, I never really paid attention to the title that much. Just like, oh, okay, Queen of Atlantis, she, <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever. But this issue sets her up <laughs> as the actual Queen of Atlantis, and I did not see that coming. I no. feel I feel like... Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> me, me too. But you know what I think it is, guys? Like, I hate to keep using this as an excuse, and, like, our listeners probably think, like, wow, these guys are real, mo like... 
they're real mooks, you know, or something like that, to use a a, a, a mafia term. <laughs> but uh, hey, forget about but it. <laughs> when when we read like fifteen, sixteen, seventeen books a week, like that stuff just breezes by me yeah. sometimes. <laughs> like I don't think about the title of a book. Because I'm reading 15 other books, you know. Well, and and I mean, like to our to our credit, I if Arthur is right, the king of right, Atlantis right. and they get married, that makes her the queen of Atlantis. So, well, actually, in uh, Atlantean culture, it's um, no. I don't, you're right, Zach. Yeah. You're right. Uh, but I, I kind of love that. Actually, I think it's a really interesting plot point. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah, she's. I mean, Mera's one of the most interesting characters at DC. Period. I think that's like underutilized, and she's always been like, they've been trying to get her over since Blackest since Night. Brightest. Yeah, I was gonna say Brightest Day, but, but she you're was right. the Red yeah. Lantern, right? Since, since Blackest Night. Yeah, I believe you're right, and uh, and you know it was always so close, and then they had the New Fifty Two reset, and then that kind of fucked it all up and then the new 52 kind of got kind of put her i don't know i didn't read all of it but it kind of felt to me like she was in the background a little bit because they were trying to separate that relationship i mean that was the relation the relationship between her and arthur was the big one that uh that our buddy dan didio Mm -hmm. you know who we love uh uh said Apparently, at some Comic Con, uh, Arthur and Mira—they gotta break up. There's gotta be a sacrifice, and that was Bernie Sanders <laughs> doing. A... <laughs> we had, in the vein of Info Rorschach, we we had to have like socialist Dandadia, <laughs> you know, which is just you doing Bernie Sanders. But it's like, look, you know, we need to establish what? that there is a real problem in Metropolis. <laughs> the Perry Whites of the world are too powerful. You know, just like, let let me be very clear. <laughs> Aquaman and Mera together, it's misogynoir. <laughs> oh, Bernie. Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought this was a really fun issue, and Dan Abnett is doing such good stuff with with Aquaman. I hope he writes him for a very long time. Yeah, this has been a really like kick-ass, uh, long story. Now, I mean, we're talking like how how long has it been since like the unofficial relaunch of Aquaman that happened? Yeah, so yeah, so about this is, six or seven months yeah. now, yeah. right? Yeah, and it just feels like one long, solid, continuous story, and you know. A lot of times the running theme of this show is we get tired of these long decompressed arcs, but this doesn't feel decompressed at all. It's one long story, but it doesn't really feel decompressed right. to me. Like there's there's not a lot of time wasting. Uh we'll get to a comic this week that egregiously wastes our time. Just um, one. And this this well, one in particular that I'm actually like hopping mad okay. about. Um but you know, compared to this, the, you know, this is nothing, nothing of the sort. This is fantastic. And, and um, I'll also say, I, mm-hmm. I think that we can all agree that Federici is no uh, Sejic, Sejic, 
but he's he's doing he's doing pretty good work here, and the the styles are complementary enough that it doesn't it's not a jarring artistic change. It's it's not, and I yeah I I will agree it doesn't have necessarily the same um, I guess like pizzazz of of Cedric, um, but I really do like the art still. I think. Mm-hmm. It, it still sets the book apart in a really fun and interesting way compared to pretty much like everything else at DC yeah. right now. I, I think all it's really missing is that expressiveness that Sayek is like one of the best in the biz at doing. You know, I mean, I know, I know a lot of times people equate good art to like facial good facial expressions are interesting but like really that's one of Sayek's big traits that that he has his characters express on their face multiple emotions at once somehow and very few artists can do that and I feel like that's the one thing that's missing from this but but on the whole it's a very good match yeah you know what this kind of reminds me of and it's a book we're going to talk about a little bit later I don't know if you guys, you know, I'm obviously the oldest of the bunch here, but I remember when I was a kid, there were certain books that always just didn't look like the rest of DC books. And the one I'm thinking of specifically is Warlord, how Warlord just looked totally different than everything else DC was putting out. And I'm not saying this is like Warlord at all. It just seems like I'm, I'm happy that DC is back at a place where not everything looks like the house style and that we can have this sort of book alongside you know, the more conventional-looking DC books, and it doesn't... It's not weird. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, keep it up, Dan and Ricardo. Good stuff. All right, let's talk about Batman number 39. Uh, Kind of Super Friends Part 3, but really a totally different story arc (laughs) than we had in the first two issues. We get... uh, Yeah, that was weird. Uh, We get Joel Jones... Uh, back on the book with Tom King still writing. Um, this is a Diana and Bruce story. It involves somebody called the Gentleman. And um, a Gentleman. I'm a Gentleman. Yeah. There's a uh, there's a lot of Catwoman here, and uh, we're gonna talk about that last page in a minute. But boys, is this as much fun as the first two parts of Super Friends? It's 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 a different kind of fun, I think. It's not as fun. That is the correct answer. But I did like it more than I expected. I still think this falls in the category of good Tom King Batman. Vince, what do you think? I think it's I think it's more good Tom King than bad Tom King Batman. Yeah. <laughs> I I think it is at times very fun. Yes. Um, I think J- Joel Jones just like bowls me over. Like the scenes of Bruce and Diana in the I forget what it's called, but the 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 land of the gentleman where he yeah. came from. Can't remember what it's called, but just so good. I mean. Uh, the way that she plays, like, it, it's like teasing the relationship between uh, Bruce and Diana that's always kind of been 
teased and played with a little bit, you know. I mean, that's a thing, right? I, mean, I, like, think, I think that's been a thing. I think thing. we can all agree that the most like iconic and absolutely best version of that is found in the film Justice League, which was released in 2017, starring Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot. All right. Well, I see you're not interested in a serious <laughs> no, conversation no, about this. I don't know if it's a thing. Didn't the DC didn't the the yeah. um, the Justice League Justice League Unlimited stuff play with that a little bit? It, it definitely did. And then I know I haven't read it, but Joe Kelly's Justice League run or JLA run did as well. They were down to pound. Yes. Um, which I think is interesting. Well, you've got. I think that's just an interesting idea that they're spending years, what feels like years, in the the gentleman's world, and Catwoman is just sitting there for a few minutes with, with the gentleman, and 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 all that time is passing for Bruce and Diana to the point where, where like they've forgotten the real world in some ways. Yeah, it's it's inter- it's really interesting, and and Joel Jones knocks that all knocks that feeling out of the park and. And the other thing, okay, the other thing I want to point out is that this joke where uh, Batman shows up in that, like, medieval armor uh-huh. bat suit and Catwoman says, you look ridiculous, that is a Tom King, Batman and Catwoman joke that does not work unless Joel Jones yes. depicts it yes, perfectly. Yes, agreed. And she does. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, so... I have no problem with this book in its broad strokes, but I think there was still a, a number of just like such bullshitty Tom King things that happened in it that I was a little bit frustrated with it. Like Catwoman making like essentially a, an actual scarecrow with like a Joker smile and then like knocking it over is just impossibly dumb. And, um, you know, I, I did not care for that. And I also. I didn't think about that at all. <laughs> you didn't notice that? Well, I didn't think about it as something that was okay. dumb. Well, we don't know that she made it. It could have <laughs> okay. been some da- some Damien yeah. shenanigans. Damien's outsider art project that she uh, that she stumbles across. Um, oh, I could definitely see Damien building some obs- something that absurd. I think like that is far too amateurish for Damien. Did Damien's would have like. Uh, a steel reinforced skeleton, and it would just be, it would, it would be like way over the top because he's Damien. Um, and I, I have to say, I, I didn't love that, that last, that last moment. I don't understand what the fascination is with superheroes falling in love with each other. Like, yes, I understand that there is a place for that, and there are lots of great couples, um, that are made up of, of sort of superhero romance. But to me, the romances that work the best in the DCU are the romances between heroes and regular people. Like, you know, I don't think any of these romances can hold a candle to Diana and Steve or Bruce uh, or um, Clark and Lois or Ralph and Sue or, you know, any or Hal and Carol, Barry and Iris. Like, to me, those are the relationships that work the best in DC. And I feel like, wouldn't it be cool... Uh, come on, Brian. It's Diana and Eve, not Diana and Steve. <laughs> it damn well should yeah, be. It should be. Uh, Diana and Edda. Am I right? Um, but no. But Ooh. Ooh. I just feel like the 20 
the, the, the 2010 version of Let's Have Superheroes Fight is the 27, 2018 of Let's Have Superheroes Fuck. Like, it, is this... <laughs> I'll tell you which one I prefer. Uh, neither? I just feel like it's a lazy way of, like, you know, to, to me, it's, it's so New 52. It's like, how can we shake things up? I know Superman and Wonder Woman are a couple. Like, I just feel like it's, it, it's lazy storytelling. Well, I, I mean, I think clearly here the, the point is to create some kind of sense of tension. You know, oh, Batman's going to, you know, be unfaithful to Catwoman or whatever, um, which I think clearly, like, won't be the case. Um, we're, we're at this point in Batman's arc where he's... In an in an active relationship, which never happens, you know. Um, so he's he. I feel like he's just playing off of that. Not that that makes it any better necessarily, but um, I don't know. I I like this. I, issue. I don't dislike the issue. I just think it's. Uh, I think it's more interesting if that stuff is is under the surface versus as blatant as it was here. So yeah, blatant. I yeah, I agree. I um I really kind of liked this Wonder Woman. I thought it was kind of a semi one-dimensional take on her, but considering this isn't a Wonder Woman book, this is Wonder Woman in a Batman book, I could kind of let that slide a little bit. I thought she was I thought it was fun how kind of like boisterous and and um loud she was. She was almost kind of Thor-esque mm-hmm. in a way. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, they she she had a sense of humor for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Anything else to add about this issue? Um, no, I liked it. I mean, it's an, it's it wasn't perfect. There were still like some of the some annoying things that I you know you know can do without from Tom King's writing, but. Man, these Joel Jones issues are are good. They're good. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I can get behind that. Next up is Batwoman number 11, written by Kay Perkins, illustrated by Scott Godlewski. This is a Professor Pig book, which I feel like is right up our alley, collectively. Uh, why are you laughing there, Vince? Because <laughs> it's a Professor Pig book, you said. It is. I mean, it's it's an issue. It It yeah. is, yeah. The whole book should be about Professor Pig. Um, oh, if we had a Professor Pig ongoing. <laughs> yeah. Illustrated by Chris Burnham. Oh. Yeah. I do feel I, he has shown up in so many books in yeah. Rebirth. Absolutely. They're, it's like, writers love using Morrison stuff. They yeah. do. Can't, can't blame them. Sea of America Comic um, Justice League. <laughs> yeah, Justice League of yeah, Morrison exactly. basically is. Ah, uh, this is one of the better issues of Batwoman we've gotten in a while. This I was think. one of my hot takes. This is the best issue of Batwoman so far. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I, still, I don't know. I, still I, re- like... I really like those first couple of issues, but it's been a while. I can't really remember. I can maybe get behind that. The the <laughs> shut up. Uh. 
the bat the Batwoman rebirth issue was really good. That that might okay, still that, be my that favorite. is true. Yeah. But uh but the, yeah, this this issue was really nice. Um Kay Perkins, man. Kay Perkins, yeah. Like 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 we like we've said before on this show, we are big Kay Perkins advocates. You know, Superwoman may be canceled. She's not going to be the regular writer of this, but get her on something. Yeah. Keep her I around. I want to see her on Background the Birds of Prey, I decided. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this issue has Professor Pig. It involves uh, Egypt and uh, the phrase, something like, Egyptians love American gingers, I believe is the exact phrase from the book. Uh, <laughs> Damn, yeah. uh, which I, I I presume to be true, um, but yeah, there's there's uh, there's nothing to dislike about this. You know, we we get Julia Pennyworth back after a, a few months of not seeing her. We get a break from the island story of Batwoman, which I feel like has been not nearly as interesting as it's been hoped to be. With you know, with her her past and all of that, and it just let it just let there be a really good Kate Kane story. That felt uh, important and fun, and yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this issue. Yes, yeah, and I I really like Julia Pennyworth as a character, and I'm glad she stuck around. I never expected her to stick after Batman and Robin Eternal yeah. or whenever it was we yeah. saw her last. I just kind of thought like. Oh, they'll just forget that this yeah. ever, you know, she died, she died on the way back to her own yeah. country, you know, and yeah. All right. That brings us to the new age of heroes. <laughs> uh, Damage numero uno. Sure is, sure is, sure is new. All right. Yeah. All new. All <laughs> so this is, uh, this is written by Robert Venditti. And illustrated by Tony Daniel. Um, this is the first of the New Age of Heroes. This is uh, this is essentially one of the worst '90s image books I've ever read. Um, yeah, what do you guys think of this? Not great, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I'm, so I'm reading this book, and I'm like. Oh, okay. So this is like, um, you know, this is like DC doing their version of the Hulk, but it's like Red Red Hulk because he's got like a time limit and like a cool down phase, which I think was was Red Hulk's thing. And I'm reading this, and there's a lot of a lot of destruction, a lot of damage going on. I guess I guess that's befitting of the title, you know. And uh, and I get to the end, and I go, no way. The freaking Suicide Squad is in this, but but but, but they're like the bad guys, who are good guys, <laughs> and I was just so I was like freaked out, you guys. <laughs> Every time you read, no matter how much you read the Suicide I saw Squad, Amanda yeah, freaking say, Waller, yeah, it's still scary. Yeah. I, I I actually I thought she was still dead, you know, <laughs> from that time that she she died yeah. for real. 
guess. I, Betrayed yeah. by her but own you know, team. Uh, you know when she shows up, though, it, she means freaking business. I know. That's how you know this book is important. I can't. <laughs> I, I groaned so hard <laughs> turning to that page. Like, the New Age of Heroes... The first book in the New Age of Heroes just had to shove the fucking Suicide Squad back in our face. But also, like, what Suicide Squad is this? It's XL. It's XL. Oh, it is. I didn't even notice that, man. Because Giganta. Because Solomon Grundy. Uh Because Parasite. Uh Because Guy in a Red Hood. We're not sure exactly who he is. That's why. So so here's... Can I... So the... First time I read this book, I thought it was Task Force XI or right. 11, which you'll remember from the Suicide Squad versus Justice right. League miniseries was the new Task Force X that, uh, what's his name? Rusty. Uh, 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 yes. Who? Wait. No, you're talking about. Max oh, Max Lord. Lord. Yeah. Max, okay. Yeah. 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 Max Lord was going to be running Task Force XI or 11. So I read this and I thought, wait, this is Task Task Force 11. And then I read an interview with Venditti where he called it Task Force XL. And then I went back and looked and sure enough, the lettering is just so (laughs) stupid that it could, it looks like it could be either. Like it could be, it wouldn't make sense for there to be a period after the I, but it also doesn't make sense that the L is like broken up into right. segments like that. And so, and because they just recently used task force 11, I thought it would be popping up again, but no, it's task force XL because this is for like the big threats or something like that. But then also somehow needs Harley Quinn on right. it, I guess. You know what? I can't wait um, for it. It's task force. No, 12? task force S- XL XFL. I'm fucking up my own joke here. Uh, some real smash mouth <laughs> football, and also uh, villains and uh, working for the government. Yeah, test for it. What about? I'm, I'm ready for the new Suicide Squad 3DS XL. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, Task Force XXX? Ooh. You guys, hubba hubba. Aren't we already getting that in the Harley Quinn adult animated film? Damn, it's yeah. true. Uh, uh, task Force Labo. <laughs> if only we were so lucky. <laughs> they all use cardboard weapons to to to. to what work. What if Miyamoto wrote Harley Quinn? <laughs> he would say, "Please do not." <laughs> you show. A lot of fan art out there is showing Harley Quinn kissing uh, the freaking Joker. Please do not do this. Do not do this. <laughs> that is a deep cut Twitter joke. Oh yes, God! Is. Yes, it is. Um, There's somebody is... on Twitter calling for the air horn. Hold on. <laughs> Thanks. It's kind of a bummer way to start the new age of heroes, yeah, so you know? I, here's, here's number two of three hot takes for me tonight. Um, I feel like this is the problem 
with centering your line around artists and not an equal partnership between artists and writers. Because I feel like this issue, if you look at it from a purely artistic standpoint, like Tony Daniel is not my favorite artist out there, but he's certainly a capable draftsman. And there's a lot of fun visual stuff happening here. The layouts can, during the battle sequences are pretty fun. They're they're big. It's widescreen. It feels like a, a really enjoyable visual, like a, a dumb popcorn movie of a comic book, right? But there's so little that happens in this issue. There is so little. I am I am firmly convinced that the New Age of Heroes is DC's way of saying these are our books that are done Marvel style. But they can never say the words Marvel style, so they have this New Age of Heroes thing. So I just feel like this is the, like, you know, Tony Daniel drew this issue that's, you know, full of destruction and, and chaos, and then gives it to Venditti and is like, here, make a script around this. And what can Venditti do with that? Because there's nothing that happens in this issue. And I feel like this is the problem with, you know, and we, we certainly have plenty of comics that, are, that, are, that have suffered the opposite problem, where you see what happens when writers are given too much of the of the creative control. This is why we need a more equal partnership in comics. And I think some people might be pissed off when I say that, but. Well, then I, I don't think, I don't think Marvel style is necessarily a bad idea. No, neither do I, but I think but, for this, it's a bad idea. Well, like, well just give me I something think, more, you know? Uh, yeah. I think like this was already from the get go, one of the least interesting concepts in the new age of heroes. And it's honestly, like, not their biggest team either. You know, if, if you know, no, no offense to Jim Lee at all, but if, you know, if a book that he was illustrating were to come out on time, this, that, you know, his book would have been the first one. And I think that would have been a lot more exciting and interesting, like, a way to launch the line. Um, and I, and I know they kind of like have their hands tied with that. Um, you know, the new age of heroes was supposed to start what back in like November yeah. or December, I think with more of the books rolling out. Um, but it, it is kind of sad the way it's sort of just kind of like stumbled out. It seems doomed to fail by the very nature yeah, well, yeah, just, like, by the very nature of having a line that is geared around high-profile artists who are notorious for taking a long time to get books out. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like the sort of project that should have been announced once you knew you had several issues in the can. And I don't feel like... I feel like the books that people are actually talking about are either ones that haven't shown up yet, like new challengers, like in yeah. solicits, I mean, mm-hmm. or the terrifics, which you would argue, even though it has a fantastic creative team, you could argue the draw of the terrifics is that it's Jeff Lemire doing a Fantastic Four style team with characters that we haven't seen in a while, and it's n- and the draw is not actually just one of DC's best artists doing a book, right. you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, <laughs> or and that's why people are talking about it. I will say that the thing that I like about this is that they do, they are putting these books out without metal being over. So we don't know the, I'm, I'm glad that they feel like they can say, we're just going to put these out here and people are going to, 
pick them up, read them, and accept them. They don't need necessarily for all the buildup to be finished. You know, they don't need everything explained. Like, this book just drops you in. It doesn't really explain, like, who this guy is, why he's damaged, any of the connections to metal, really. It just drops you in. And while the issue may not be great and the story's not very satisfying at all, I like that approach where they don't feel like they need a bunch of lead-up to actually putting these books out. I wish DC and Marvel would just throw you into concepts, new concepts like this without a lot of build-up more often. And Because and, I opened up this book genuinely not knowing what to expect, except that Amanda Waller was probably going to show up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, It turned out to be the thing that you would most expect from, from DC Rebirth, I guess. But... But, you know, like when I opened it up, I'm like, I'm not sure who's going to show up in this. I'm not sure what connection this has to anything. And I like that. Is that is, yeah. is that fair? Yeah, it is. My disappointment with, with a lot of this is, you know, going back to the idea of it of it being more artistically driven. I, I don't think that any of these artists are Jack Kirby. I don't think any of these artists are oh somebody. God. I think a lot of these artists are tend to be sort of Jim Lee clones. You know, I mean, I, th- I think I think Tony Daniel is is essentially a faster Jim Lee. And uh I don't think that they necessarily have the the creative chops, not not the not the skill, but the creativity to tell a story where they are the driver necessarily. Mm. Well, I think they're yes. I think their draw as like quote unquote big name artists is that they're they're that style of artist that people associate with big event type books and important you know um you know the a very 2000s style not 90s but like 2000s style of comic booking yeah. you know like a very ultimate marvel type era you know and with that didn't necessarily come uh you know, creativity or interesting layouts or, you know, um, visual tricks or flair, but just like really big, explosive action. It's all bombast. Yeah, it's all bombast, huge characters. And I know a lot of people go in for that. And I I don't think any of us really, that's not any of our bags. Um, But for somebody it is. It'll be interesting to see where this idea of, because they said that there's going to eventually be more waves of this, they think. Not necessarily in in the, the, the Dark Knight's metal line, but that there might be other pushes in the future for like art, like, like a wave of these artistic mm-hmm. driven books, right? It'll be interesting to see who they bring in then, or if it's always going to be these these same types. I mean, I mean just think know? about how great an artistic initiative would be when the driving forces were like Doc Shaner, Greg Capullo, mm-hmm. Chris Wildgoose, Joel, Joel Jones. Jones. Like, there is the artistic. Uh, yeah, Jimenez. there is so much artistic talent out there who are so creative and so vibrant that I would love to see them be the creative lead on a book. I just don't think that. Oh, Almost with the exception of Doc Shaner on the uh, on the the second half of the Terrifics, like none of these artists are particularly do it for me. 
you know and and that's part of yeah. my my lack of uh of interest in the in these books is just because I really don't care about you know I've seen Tony Daniel write stories before and it was it wasn't very pretty you know I don't know why I should be uh, excited about it this time Yeah when um do we know when the next book is the next New Age of Heroes uh, book this week Is it is it this okay is it Silencer is so, that yeah. the next it, one It's either it's either the 31st or February uh like uh 31st, 31st is Silencer, which, you know, I'm not terribly excited about that one either. I think the first one that I'm, that we're going to get that I'm kind of looking forward to is Sideways, but, um. Zach, I'm not drinking any fucking Merlot. What? I'm making a joke about the, the wine movie Sideways again, as I do every time that book is put Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um. Uh, our friend of the show, multiversity contributor Alexander Jones, mentioned to me that this felt very early '90s image to him. Alex yeah, Jones, and I, uh, I don't think he's wrong about that. I think that there's a lot of, of sort of, um, the hallmarks of, of quote classic image are found here. Would you guys agree with that? I think it's more 2000s, but that definitely came out of the 90s. So this does you know. remind me of like a Liefeld first issue. <laughs> There'd be a lot more words. That's true. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there were yeah, there were very few words in this comic for sure, which sometimes I don't mind. Sometimes I definitely think it's better to have fewer words than than more words. Yeah. One thing people forget about those 90s image books or even like the 90s Marvel with the, where the image creators were, were working on those books is that they were wordy as hell. Like, have you ever read those early Spawn oh, yeah. issues? Good God. Like, to get through that is mind-numbing. So, while I didn't like this, I would rather read a bad book with very few words than a, like a slightly better, more well thought out, mediocre book that has just a ton yep. of ton yep. of words. You know, like I can breeze through this and be like, okay, that was damage number one. That's fine. Uh, Jeff Lemire just said in the interview we did with him at the end of the year for Multiversity that like the secret to being a good comic writer is having a good comic artist and saying that you know like no matter how bad a book is, if it looks good, that goes a long way. And I feel like that is that is very true, and it's doubly true if it's a book that, you, like you said, you don't have to be bogged down in excruciating, like, um, backstory or minutia to, to get to essentially the same place you can get to with almost no words. Yep. I Let's do this. Let's take a little break here. Be back in just a minute with more DC Cast. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster. 
A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with a look at Green Lanterns, number 39, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by Roland, Ronan Clique. Can get that out. Uh, this is the end of the uh, the sort of first Tim Seeley arc of Green Lanterns. And uh, a world of our own, as it's known. This was okay. I just can't care about this story too much. Yeah. Yeah. I think there were some fun parts of it. Um, You know what I'm really interested in? There's that little, like, coda at the end of the issue... With that night pilot uh-huh. character. And I don't know if you remember her, but she was from an earlier issue. Like, she was sleeping with, with Baz. Yeah. Simon Baz at one point. And, uh, yeah, it's I, – I really like her design. And I'm intrigued by her. And if you read – Seeley just did an interview where he teased that he would be introducing some new characters to the Green Lanterns. And I'm wondering if part of that is fleshing out this night pilot character um, in some way. But I, I really like her design. That could be fun, I guess. Yeah, I know it's not much, but we don't have much to go on. But I just really like I like the design of her helmet, <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> also, at one point, this uh, Podfather Vob alien uh-huh. guy says... Uh, Every day of life is a gift, and that is the tie that binds us all together. It is the rope. And he says, uh, use the rope, Jessica Cruz, use the rope. And I'm I'm just, when I read that, I pictured Podfather Bob shooting rope across the universe as if, you know, spreading his seed. <laughs> I can't believe. You understand the colloquialism. Yes, uh, I'm surprised no one's brought up how Jessica made... Uh, Construct um, Kurt Cobain. <laughs> yeah, he's left-handed well. and everything. Um, speaking of speaking of spreading your seed, um, it, it very much seemed like um, Simon saved the day by essentially taking back what was yeah. his. I guess, <laughs> <laughs> which was kind of weird. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that didn't really make much sense, but um, uh, what? Well, it's fine. Yeah, that works. All right, we're breaking one of our long-standing rules tonight. We're talking about Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn number thirty-five, written by Frank Thierry, illustrated by Inaki Miranda. This is the first issue of a new story arc. Uh, it takes place on Coney Island. Um, it's essentially the Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie show, where everybody's talking <laughs> about Harley Quinn, which is not there. Um, 
Vince, you Harley Quinn am am cute yes. and sad right now. Uh, you, uh, Vince, you read more of the Harley Quinn run than Zach or I did. So why don't we start with you for this one? Sure. So I just have a couple of things to say. One is that um, I found it interesting, but it makes total sense that Frank Thierry would essentially continue to use all the same characters that uh, Palmiati and Connor had been using. Like, this is basically an, just an extension of their run. The voice and the writing is a little bit different because... They removed all humor? Yeah. Like, well, yeah, like every other, like every panel had some joke in it. And that wore out really quickly, but I also think it gave it, it gave that book something truly original that people really latched onto. Not us necessarily, but you know, people did really like the tone of that book. And now this is a little bit different. So it's continuing the story and all the characters, but now it's missing that originality that may have wore thin on us, but it was something right. Like, there's something different about this book. It made it different from every other book. And now it kind of feels the same as most other books, I think. And I think what's interesting is that Palmiati and Connor's Harley Quinn kind of played by itself for the most part. Any cameos that were made in that book felt like they uh, were apart from anything else that was happening yes. in Rebirth. And now I'm wondering, because you've got a uh, Kirk Langstrom or his wife, I guess, as like the villain of this issue, I think it's interesting that 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 kind of plays into what we've seen in Doomsday Clock a little bit. Like, isn't part of Doomsday Clock that Kirk Langstrom is part of this Superman theory where he's got something to do with the metahuman gene that's causing people to develop powers. Yeah. I wondered about that. That that seems kind of a strange coincidence that he would pop up in this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Around the same time, which I, it seems really weird, but I would not be surprised if Harley Quinn is somehow involved in like the, you know, the, Road to Doomsday Clock, or count, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, yep. And and Frank Thierry is kind of one of those writers that I could see being plugged in to kind of handle this more like editorial driven right. book concept, you know. So I could see it. Zach, what do you think of this issue? Oh, uh, I mean, it was bland AF, but. Um, uh, eh. Yeah, I think the most egregious thing is that it's it it's the shell, it's the trappings of the um Connor Palmiotti run without the spark that kind of like you know the soul that made it special. Um Yeah. I I will not be uh, continuing to read the book. I don't think <laughs> I may finish out this first arc. 
just for those those sweet sweet doomsday clock yeah. connections. <laughs> uh, I found this issue insufferable. Well, she she is marionette, yeah. right? <laughs> you found yeah, it insufferable. I really disliked it. It was just to me, it was the worst type of editorial driven dreck. Like I said, whenever Harley's not there, people are wondering where Harley is. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those things where I feel like. Uh, the editorial mandate was like, we have to bring Harley back to the DCU. How do we do that? Well, the tone's all fucked up, so we have to revert the tone back to what the rest of the DCU feels like. And uh, we have to connect it to the Bat family more, so put Man Bat in there. It just feels to me so uninspired that I just I couldn't dig it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. What I could dig was Justice League number 37. Christopher Priest and Philippe Briones. Uh, this issue settles it for me. I don't think this is a good arc. Ooh. I, I don't like beep, boop, this. Boop, 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 boop. Hello, anybody else? Do Objection. you want to host the show? Because Zach's fucking out. <laughs> um... Speak on that a little bit, Zach. I, I, I don't. I just don't think this is interesting. I think this is nowhere near the level of quality of what we get in Deathstroke. It's um, no Deathstroke. That's for it's like no nowhere near Deathstroke. Deathstroke. Yeah, Deathstroke. Deathstroke will be again probably on my year end list once twenty eighteen is over, and this arc won't. But well, I, I guess what I'm saying is like. I don't maybe this is unfair but I do think that the contrast I think there's a tendency I I could see uh, th- there's two ways that I could approach this book one is you know I'm very much enjoying what priest is doing in deathstroke and so I could see this and and look for similarities and and kind of elevate this book just because it's coming from the same writer. It has a lot of the same, um, you know, like trappings and motifs and things and elevate it in that way. Or I can contrast it against that and and see it as, as lesser. Um, But even, I think even if you not like contrasting it with Deathstroke, I just, I don't think that this arc is doing anything interesting. I think this fan character is, really not great i don't think he's a good character his little origin is really uninteresting (laughs) um the um the kind of um you know mccarthy trial type thing that's going on in the background has been done in cape comics a lot and is is not terribly interesting either um i don't think the art is that great um it does that annoying thing where it uses social media in a way that doesn't really feel real. Um, I, yeah, I, I just really don't like this very much. Well, those were all very reason points. Um, 
but I I really liked the the fan character. But I guess that's because I like Christopher Priest. Like you're you're probably right. He's a pretty thin character. Um, seems kind of convenient and un- unlikely actually. But uh, but I just like Christopher Priest going after like the typical tiresome MRA comic book Pepe, you know, like the people who get mad about, uh, you know, female characters in comic books and things like that. And, um, I, I like him taking that head on. I like Christopher priest in that role, you know, and I think he, I think he does well with it. He's not going to pussyfoot around it, you know, like this dude is just awful. And, um, I really got a kick out of that. So, so I don't know. I, I see where you're coming from though, Zach. I, I think if it wasn't priest writing it, I wouldn't give it, you know, a second glance. Mm. It's only the fact that priest is writing it. That makes me kind of try to pay attention. I guess if that makes sense. I will. Yeah. If any other writer was telling this story, I wouldn't be interested. I guess is what I'm saying. I will say this is my least favorite issue of the arc thus far, but you know, Zach, you were saying how when you compare this to Deathstroke, it can't help but be unfavorable, and I don't disagree with that. But I think conversely, you can't help but compare this to Brian Hitch's Justice League, and then it's the best book that's ever been written. <sighs> No, I still don't. I don't even. I don't think it's like far and away much better than oh, that, the Brian Hitch book. At least like <laughs> the last arc, you know. Like I compare this to the last arc of Brian Hitch, and I think the the gap between that is marginal compared to the gap between this and Deathstroke. Wow. Oh. Wow. Oh boy. All right, I am quitting the show. <laughs> um. I, I I will say that I like the uh, you know again like you said Zach this story has been done a hundred times in the past I like some of the little wrinkles that Priest is bringing to it specifically I like the end of this issue where they basically say that like they have to put the fan on trial but they can't do it because if they do he'll reveal who they are and so it puts them in this moral quandary and we all know how it's going to turn out it's not going to turn out the Aquaman's going to like snap his neck and be like what's done is done yeah, it's, it's not. It's not going to happen. But I, th- I mean, it could. We could have our our um, you know Maxwell Lord situation. I guess so yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I just felt that this is a uh, there 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 was some interesting stuff that happened in this issue. I liked the thing with uh, with, with Baz's ring. I liked there, there there was a lot to like in this issue. I think if Philippe Briones is no Pete Woods, um, but in terms of fill in art, they could certainly do much worse than Briones. And, uh, yeah, I don't, again, I'm not saying that this is necessarily of Deathstroke quality, nor do I think that this is the best book that the Justice League can be, but to me it's just, it is far and away the best Justice League, not counting the Of America title. This is the best that Justice League has been since Rebirth. And by default, then, it's the best that Justice League has been since pre-Flashpoint. Because the, the New 52 Justice League was a big snooze fest. I don't know. I really liked the Doomsday... Uh, not Doomsday. Uh, Dark Side Wars. I thought... I mean... 
I like that, I like that one that issue arc. that I like that one issue where they interviewed <laughs> that we always talk about. <laughs> Which one? The one where they interview for the team. It was like Justice League oh, number yeah. 17 yeah, or 19 with, or something. Uh, Jesus yeah. as and on I, our, yeah, yeah. We, we, we always talk about Isn't it. Isn't that where Atomica joins our, the team? Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, you know, our version of uh, the Ladies' Night issue for yeah, Matt Malikoff. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to drag out that old uh, chestnut. I, uh, I haven't teased Matt about that in like two weeks. So we'll do that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, a- after uh, Multiversity editor in exile Walter Richardson's wedding, we Matt uh, Matt's uh, fiance and I went to a Waffle House for breakfast the next morning, and Matt said like, "Oh, this food's so good," and I said, "Brave and the Bold number thirty three, good," <laughs> and he uh, <laughs> he wasn't a huge it. fan of that joke. That's I thought it was pretty good though. <laughs> I'm not even judging. No, him. no, it's, it's, I just love how much he loved it. Yeah, and it's it's like a a capsule in time. Like nobody else probably talks about that issue and for the site, I mean I wasn't even there, but like I just know the story of that magical ten yeah. out of ten. The costumes must have been fucking amazing. <laughs> Yarp. Um all right, let's uh let's get to a place where we're not gonna be arguing tooth and nail. Or we're not going to get our uh, <laughs> our our partnership broken up here, and that's by talking about Nightwing number thirty-seven, which is oh, I loved it, <laughs> which is written by Sam Humphreys. Just just kidding, I just kidding. I I got to maybe halfway through and had to stop reading it. Uh, written by Humphreys, illustrated by Klaus Janssen and Jamal Campbell. Uh so Zach didn't like this book at all. Vince, what'd you think? No, I thought it was real yeah. bad, um, <laughs> and and I thought I thought they tried to do something with Klaus with Klaus Jansen's art, sort of trying to do like a throwback Batman and Robin story that completely missed the mark. It doesn't look like it doesn't look like the era it's trying to recall. Um, it's just grown worthy. Uh, you know, when I, when I see that art style, I think more like Frank Miller for obvious right. reasons, you know, to me, if they're going for an old, uh, you know, Dick and Bruce, Batman and Robin style era thing, they could have done a lot more to make it look like that. You know, I don't think this was the right choice for doing that. Not that, I mean, I think Jansen's a heck of yeah. an artist, but I don't think it was right in this. I don't think it worked the way that it was intended. And also baby ruthless is probably the worst fucking name I've heard for a superhero or heroine in ever. Maybe. Yeah. That's when I stopped reading. That wasn't America Chavez. (laughs) I I, I don't know. Exact fucking character. You mean? Yeah. It's a, it's a way less interesting. (laughs) Sure. She doesn't carry a baseball bat around, does no, she? No, but, yeah, it's just, no, it's fucking stupid. Fucking stupid book. Um, this is the worst kind of issue to me, where if it was just a straight flashback and they just let the art tell the story, that would be one thing. But this is, and, and I see this more and more nowadays, and it drives me crazy, mm-hmm. where it's a flashback story that is still narrated from the present, 
And there's no reason for that. Nothing in the narration tells you anything you don't know from looking at the art and reading the dialogue. But you have to read twice as many words because a writer has to get in their bullshit. And it drives me fucking crazy. <laughs> oh, I hate it so much. Oh, you're so right, too. Like, make it a flashback issue, if that's the case. You know, the... oh, God, it's so bad. This is... And again, it's wasted Jansen art. It's, um... Baby Ruthless is dumb as fuck. Oh, God, this is a bad comic. Well, Zach, you like yeah. it, so let's... <laughs> Loved it. Right, let's try this again. Something I did love was Super Sons number 12, written by Pete Tomasi <laughs> and Patrick Lees and illustrated by Tyler Kirkham. They gave Jonathan Kent the It's Not You, It's Me. <laughs> if anyone's giving him the It's Not You, It's Me, It's Me, yeah. Jerry. Uh, yeah, but this issue gave us three things that we've wanted for a while. Art Cassie that's, and Connor? That's, that's the first thing. Dying on the way back well, to their home well, planet? Yeah, technically it, it took them away well, from yeah, us. Right. But... Uh, it it yeah. gave us yet another, like sunset of scenes from DC's past, which we love. We yep. love those very, very much. Yep, we love it. Oh, let's pick let's pick them out because there are some good ones in there that yeah. haven't been yeah. in other ones. And, um, one thing I just want to say. And this issue also okay. gave us um I thought a really unexpected turn in the uh, uh I keep saying Clark O'Connor in John joins the Teen Titans. I felt like that was a really interesting end of the issue. Didn't go where I expected it to go. And I appreciate that. Even if it was a, it's not mm-hmm. you, it's me. Yeah. I felt really sad mm-hmm. for John. I did too. All right. So we're on page uh, three of our yeah. PDF. At the bottom, bottom center, that's our buddy, right? That is good our, old, ma- our main man. <laughs> yep, it is. <laughs> oh, Jeff King, like, heard, heard the, like... His cash app went off as he got like his royalty. All right, five All right. Here's the question, guys. All right, how many <laughs> listeners will we need for next week's show to all get matching Telus tattoos? <laughs> What's the most we've ever had? We've had like in the nine hundred range. Okay, um, for Telos tattoos, it's got to be grand. like. 1500. 1500, <laughs> yeah. I said. Shit, man, we're getting Tilo's tattoos. <laughs> no. All right, so that's that, that's that's that panel. Uh, then we get. Uh-huh. Yep. If we ever get an Eisner for best comics related <laughs> podcast, then I'll okay. get a Tilo's tattoo. Oh God, what a joke! All right, uh, so then we get Final Crisis: Superman holding uh, flaming corpse Batman. Mm-hmm. The yes. best. Uh, we yep. get then something with Green Lantern. Is that Blackest Day? Blackest Night, rather? I think it's yeah. Blackest Night. Yeah, it yeah. Because looks... there's a there's Indigo Adam. Okay, yeah. In yep. there. Yep. Then we have that final page of Blackest Night when it, it says Rise, mm-hmm. and it was uh, all the characters coming back from the dead. Captain Boomerang. Oh God, that was yeah. so good. Um, then we have Flashpoint because we have to have Flashpoint in everything. Gotta have it. Gotta have uh, 
Wonder Woman fighting yeah. Aquaman. You need that. Then that's more Blackest Night there, right? Because there's another Indigo Adam there. Yeah. Yep. That's it wild. Is. Then we get um, a little bit of the... Uh, the um the last uh, the Lazarus uh, contract. Lazarus, yeah. yeah then we yeah. get the the scene from from Rebirth, Rebirth. special. Um, yep. Then we get Earth three. Yep. Yeah, forever evil. Then we get the Legion. <laughs> then we get Jurgens. Oh, no, no, that's, that's, that's Jurgens. That's, that's um, that's the uh, that's from Super Sons. That's like the uh, no action action. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yes. From yes. Oz, yes. Oz, Oz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Oz Effect. And we then uh, Chris yep. and Infinite Earths. Uh, the mm. dang Joker. The Woo! Ah! Freaking Joker. I, I just and got scared. I never think about the Joker. I piss my pants every time. Um... <laughs> you know, sometimes I wonder if, if the writers are writing him or if he's writing the writers. Who watches The Watchmen? Um, <laughs> oh, then we man. get Sinestro Core War with Superboy Prime as the mm-hmm. Young Lantern. We get Dark. Oh god, yeah. Yeah. We yep. got our oh our favorite right identity yep. crisis. Yep. <laughs> and then we get uh, parallax. Yeah. What we really should do is zoom in really far and get all the scenes that are behind Telos too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh wait a minute though, like is this the first time we've seen Identity cri- identity crisis is not usually no. in these. They usually kind of like shy away from from that. Yeah, I, I found that I interesting. Know. There's a lot of Green Lantern stuff in this, and it makes me a little giddy. Yeah, I mean, but between <laughs> Parallax, Sinestro Core, um, and then all that Blackest Night stuff. I'm I'm calling it right now, by the way, on the show that Scott Snyder's next project that's not new challengers or uh you know, metal related is gonna be Green Lantern something. From your lips to God's ears. Calling Bring it right it. now. Bring it. Gonna make it so. Yeah. Uh but overall, did you guys were you guys satisfied with this issue? As a capstone of this arc? Yeah, I really liked this art. Me too. It's um it's that classic like superhero melodrama but in like the best way. Yeah. It's pitting it's pitting heroes against one another ostensibly, which is something I I tend not to like, but there's there was the twist of having, you know, really they were working toward the same right. thing or the same goal whether they realized it or not. Um. Yeah, it was really it was really well done. All right, so I I, I want to bring up something I I bring up all the time. If you go to page seven in our PDF, there's the Is this no, a it's not, not a face. face. It's um oh. it's Clark and Connor shaking hands. Why in yeah. comics is it always a left-handed handshake? <laughs> all the time, this happens in comics, and I never understand why. That looks like a very uh, a normal human way to give a handshake, Ryan. <laughs> but it happens all the time. They look like they look like two yeah. normal men having a yeah. handshake. 
I've I've never like noticed that as a wait, thing. Wait till next um, week, Zach. Look at any handshake you see in the comics to be left handed. I wonder if that's just like an unwritten rule of comics. That would... Yeah. Because even if you go up like two panels, they're clearly in a position to do a <laughs> exactly. right-handed handshake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's probably some bullshit thing that none of us understand because we're not artists where they're like, well, if you showed the right-handed handshake, then the one on the left would be facing away, and then that's... That uh, actually probably is it, panel. honestly. Yeah, except that there is probably some like artistic rule that you learn in like when you actually study theory that says you shouldn't do that because art's like that sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like um, leading the eye somehow, you know? I'm I'm totally pulling that out of my ass, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was some sort of logic like that along those lines. Sure. Anyway, we're winning an Eisner for this stupid podcast. (laughs) <laughs> Hello, we... Tilos. Tattoo. Did I mention it has to be on the tip of our nose? <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, so this issue also had like two things I absolutely love in these comics. I love Superman being back to being like the the mentor of the DC universe, and just being able to talk sense to everybody and. Him allowing the Titans on the Watchtower was one of my favorite things this week. Mm-hmm. So perfect. Yep. Yeah. Anything else to add? No. No. Another good crossover. Yeah. All right. So this this might be a divisive issue. Superman number thirty nine. Um. Written by Tomasi and Gleason, illustrated by Barry Kitson. This is clearly an issue that is just a fill-in that is going to waste some time. It's it's about as uh, as wow. So spending time with cancer kids is wasting time. Okay, you know what I mean. This is not this is not pushing forward any storyline. I was going to say it's. In some ways, like it's it's manipulative in in how it works with your emotions. But goddamn, did I love this issue? Like, I know it's I I know it was playing me the whole time, but I really love this issue. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because this is the type of thing that it kind of feels easy, right? Like, oh, we're gonna do a we're gonna do a cancer issue with kids, and it's gonna tug on your heartstrings no matter what, yeah. you know. But we we know that that's not that simple, you know. We know that it's the little touches, like um, talking about the one kid who was thinking about the girl that died just the week earlier, or mm-hmm. something like that. Who who would have loved this, you know? It's it's uh, the scavenger hunt where they have to find a picture of Batman yeah. smiling, you know. Like it's it's not enough to just bring a bunch of uh, you know kids with. Uh, leukemic diseases up to the watchtower but like to put all these nice little touches these really heartfelt little good natured touches to the whole thing is really what does it Zach yeah yeah I agree are you talking about um, Aquaman's bob haircut by the way <laughs> <laughs> some of the art was a little 
I mean, Barry Kitson's yeah. a pro, but yeah. uh, I'm sorry, Zach. Go ahead. It didn't. It didn't feel of this yeah. time. Kind no. of. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Zach. Go ahead. Uh, oh no, I yeah, I I really don't have a lot more to say than what you guys said. It it was it was nice. It was sweet. As far as filling issues go, you know, it, it's um, probably like a lot more than we could ask for. Um, we don't get a lot of, we haven't gotten a lot of these kinds of Superman stories in a long time. So the, it was, it was good. The last like two or three pages really got me, um, with the kids putting their names on the rocks and then having them on the moon. And then, um, the kid asked, like, is our names will be here forever? Right. And he said, and ever. And then the other kid asked if they could stay a little bit longer. And Superman says, absolutely kiddo. Absolutely. And he's holding the two kids. I mean, it's just a beautiful scene. It's just absolutely, this is what Superman is supposed to be. Mm. And uh, it was just, it was beautiful. I, I really loved it. What you don't see is him leaving them <laughs> all there when he has to answer yeah. a, a, some distress signal. <laughs> yeah. I gotta go talk to Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> uh, well, this is taking longer than I thought. Yeah. All right, let's, let's talk about Trinity. Trinity number 17, written by James Robinson, illustrated by Patch Zercher. Here's my last hot take of the week, guys. This is the best issue since number one. Mm. <clears throat> um, Zach, why don't you go first on this? <sighs> Even the issues that weren't number one that were bad that had Francis Manipal art were probably better than this. Do you remember earlier in the episode when I was talking about there was one <laughs> book that was so decompressed that I couldn't believe it and it actually pissed yeah, me off? One. It was this one. They took 10 pages to get to Scartaris, and those 10 pages were spent doing absolutely nothing. It did not, none of it advanced the story one single bit. All they told you was that um, they were looking for Themyscira, Mm -hmm. right? That's it. You see them flying through the air, you see them get sucked in a whirlpool and thrown out on. Scartaris, and that took ten pages for some reason to to give you nothing, no, nothing in the way of have, story. It's because we have five more issues of this arc. So, um. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and then and, and it starts off with this thing where they're all interviewing. You know, they're like sitting in this the FBI or whatever, whatever, wherever they are being like interrogated, which is just the like that's been done before and it's there's nothing you know it's gonna be like a <laughs> the shirtless batman from batman oh God, Odyssey so. that they're all t- um <laughs> yeah no but, no, but okay. like <laughs> just i i just hated that it took half of the issue to get to what you already knew was the point of this arc in the solicit and if they're gonna do this shit where they waste our time like this then they got to do something about these solicits where you know what the story is going to be three months in advance. 
Because we basically landed on the island and met the warlord, and that's what they spent this issue doing. And you knew that from the solicitation itself. You didn't need a single bit of this. And I know that's reductive to the art. Like, I understand that that's reductive when talking about the job that, you know, Patch Searcher did on this. But I don't care. Like, art is half of it. The story and the surprise and the mystery is the other half. And I feel like comics are losing that. And this issue is, like, the biggest example of that to me. Uh, all right. Let me start off by saying, Vince, you ignorant slut. Um, <laughs> because one of the things that we went gaga over with that first issue of Trinity was that it was showing Bruce Clark and Diana as friends and how it's been so long since we've had anything that resembled friendship among the DC characters. The first ten pages of this book show them as friends. It's it's all anecdotal about how close they are and how much they mean to one another, and it wasn't nearly as well done as it was in that first issue, but it's not any different. After... There's no story with it, though. There's no story that goes along with it in those ten pages. They're just flying somewhere. I mean, I guess if you're reducing it to, to that simple of a level, then, then sure. But I don't think that there's... I mean, they're looking for Themyscira, and, you know... Yeah, this isn't this isn't a perfect show. I wasn't saying my favorite issue of the week, ten out of ten. I was saying that this book has been so fucking unbearable for the last year and a half that this is the first issue that didn't feel suffocating to me. Um, I can agree with that. Uh, there was plenty of room to breathe, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well played, sir. Um, but no, I th- I thought that this first of all. Saying it's the best issue since number one is faint praise. That is not exactly a, a, a high bar to clear. Similarly, I think this is the best issue Robinson has written since returning to DC, which again, not a not a high bar to clear. Um, I, I just felt like this was that this to me fulfilled the Trinity mission statement more than any issue has in quite some time, which was show these three heroes together. And show why the three of them are important together. I, I mean, what you say is true, but but this, regardless of what it's about, this commits all the crimes that I hate about modern comics. You know, okay. No, I don't disagree with that, and I think that solicits are poison in a lot of ways. Um, if mm-hmm. we didn't know that the Warlord was going to be showing up here, that would have been a crazy thing to, to stumble across. Yeah. Yep. And But there's no mystery anymore. And, uh, you know, if the cover's not giving it away, the solicit is. And, yeah, sometimes they sneak surprises by us. Um, but, you know, the big ones usually don't come without a USA Today press mm-hmm. release the small surprises along the way sometimes slip through but but usually you tease that stuff out with solicits and covers and you know if you're going to continue to do that because i understand that 
marketing is like a big deal. Like without the way that they're marketing right now, the comic book industry is probably dying at an even faster right. rate because fans need to know what they're what's coming, what they're buying, I guess. But if you're going to do that, there's got to be some way to tell this story without it being 20 pages that take half of its page count to even get to the situation that's promised that don't really tell any story up until that point and then leave you in the exact place that the solicit teased to you. You know, it's almost like when we talk about crossover books and how, like, when Batman meets the Ninja Turtles, they go an entire issue, and the very final page is them meeting. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's, it's like, that level of annoying to me. It's like a throwaway to me. Like, they could have started this issue with, uh, you know them looking up Warlord's loincloth <laughs> and and we, we could have gone from there and that would have been fine because we already knew it was happening. Um, I know some of that has to do with the marketing of comics, but but it's also just not telling an economical story either. And I feel very strongly well, about and, that. But as Zach said, I can't imagine that this wasn't a... Hey Jimmy, we gotta we gotta kill the last five issues of Trinity. Give us a five issue story. Yeah. And so he's like, I have a three issue story. Good enough. Stretch baby. Like that <laughs> I, I can't imagine that's not the conversation that happened about this book. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Look, sure. This is you know, so many of the best comics are the the brainchild of one or two people. And and you know it's it's great. I remember, I'll never forget when we did our Multiversity five year video. One of the things that Mark Tweedale said, which is one of the reasons he loves Tintin so much, is that it it's this expansive world that was only touched by one set of hands, right? And there's, there's something beautiful about that mm-hmm. in, in all art. We we love art auteurs. You know, we love people who who are able to craft these things by themselves. This is like the absolute opposite of an auteur comic. Like th- this is just like it's a marriage of necessity on twelve different levels. Yeah, I understand the frustration in that. That said, it is so much better than any of the other comics we got under this title in the last year. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. Uh, I hope the Warlord sticks around past these few issues because it's a character unlike anything else in DC right now. He won't, but. That's the goal. All right, that brings us to our final issue of the week, Wonder Woman Kona number five, written by Gail Simone, illustrated by Aaron Lepresti. Uh, Vince loved last month's. How'd you feel about this month's, Vince? <laughs> I loved it even more. Are actually. you serious? Uh, yes, yes. Actually, I've really grown to like this miniseries. I'm, I'm very fond of it. I think... Um, Gail Simone is doing a fantastic job with both characters. Um, Hachi Machi. Yeah, I mean, I said what? Hachi Machi. Well, I I mean, did you did, did you read it? And and what you don't think it's good or you it's think all right. it's boring? It's okay. Or... It's 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 kind. Of... Zach, did you read this? 
I did not. Okay. Well, I just think, like, I think if you didn't like the first couple issues, give it another chance to win you over. Now, admittedly, I'm a bigger Conan fan than uh, most people are. I mean, Conan or Conan? I was one of, a member. Of, <laughs> I was a member of the Slipknuts for Halloween is what I was going to say before you stepped on my fucking joke, you asshole. I am truly history's greatest monster. I understand. <laughs> no, no, I'm a, I'm a big Conan fan. Are, are, and, are you just uh, saying how Regis Feldman says Conan O'Brien's name? <laughs> do you remember that bit they used to do on Conan all the time? Conan! Yes. Yes, I know. I, I don't have... I don't have a good Regis. All I know is he gets really, uh, yeah, right. Like he does that. He does that? Like, but uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Conan. <laughs> I love the Fighting Irish. <laughs> anyway, uh, this episode is way off the rails. Yeah. No, but I think I think she does a great job with both of these characters, and I think she's already had her hand with Diana in the past. I would love to see Gail Simone actually write Conan for Marvel when he's when cuz he's going yep, over there yep, now, right? Got the license back. The, the rights of, I would love to see her write for him over there cuz I think she's doing a great job. I think she tied in this group that was chosen from Themyscira to come find Diana. That was really exciting and well-paced their arrival and everything um the stuff between conan and diana as they um are sort of forced to kind of do battle against one another but then ultimately leave one another was really i I feel like it was earned like if you if you really read the last four issues i feel like she did a good job earning that moment and uh yeah, I just I really liked the and, and the craft of this. I feel like the the this could have easily been just a throwaway miniseries, but I feel like the craft is there. I feel like Simone really did a careful job with all the the characters, and I think you know Lepresti did as good a job as you can expect from Lepresti, and just a really charming miniseries that I did not expect to like as much as. I ended up liking. Um, a lot of my problems with this stem from the Presti's art. I think it's pretty dull. I. Well, you always you always think. Yeah, that I, I don't, I, I'm not a fan of his. Uh, I also think that the coloring on it is is very muted, and uh, I think it adds to the the sort of dull visual look of the book. It's just it, nothing pops off the screen to me. Um, even. Uh, Julia Louis Hippolyta. <laughs> you, you five Amazonian warriors are sponge worthy <laughs> to travel to man's world. Uh, it just it just doesn't do it for me, and I I, I did kind of like the stuff with 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 Conan Conan rather, um, like feeling like he had to fight Diana at the end, you know, for, for Yana or whatever her name is. Um, uh-huh. It just, to me, I guess I just don't care. It, it's all it comes down to is that, you know, <laughs> I, I just don't care. 
Okay, that's fine. What can I say? I like Conan. I, I don't begrudge you your uh, your love of, of Conan. I, I, know, <laughs> I know it's like an esoteric thing that like, like Conan's reverting back to Marvel and the internet barely gave yeah. a shit. You, you know, I understand that it's kind of outdated and I don't even usually go in for those things. You know, I don't usually go in for like the cult fantasy type stuff, but there's something about Conan, Conan, Conan that I've always, I've always appreciated the like weird, uh, deep lore and the like inherent over masculinity of it, but but I appreciate it from almost an ironic standpoint. You know, okay. like I re- I read a Conan story and I recognize that, and this is why I think I'm on the same wavelength with Gail Simone, because I realize that like a lot of it is that he's a meathead or it's like meatheaded meatheaded fantasy. You know. I'm sure people are going to get mad at me <laughs> for saying that, but like it's 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 something that is totally not within my personality to enjoy and then I enjoy it on an ironic level. Like I I I I'm collecting the the Dark Horse Conan uh volumes uh-huh. slowly and I just there's something about getting in that world that I don't normally it's not normally something I would like that I've just found weird pleasure in. <laughs> I don't know why. Does that make any sense Shouldn't, at all? Or is this like no, some weird, I'm, weird, no, weird yeah. insight to my psychology that like, I'm sure there's probably some psychosexual sure. thing that Obviously. listeners. Are... <laughs> some kid, one kid loves the bodybuilder. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, I, um, I mean, I think we all have our, our properties. Like for me, one of my favorite sort of weird old comics things is I love Dick Tracy comics. And oh, yeah. I was super bummed when that just got canceled. The new Archie uh, Dick Tracy series was announced and then canceled um, because mm-hmm. of a fuck up with the licensing. And I think that we all have those like those characters, whatever that for whatever reason you know um, stick with us and, and that we're fans of. I, I guess so much of this comes down to my just like vehement apathy towards Lepresti. Um and part of it comes down to this I don't I am not a, a Conan fan really in the slightest and uh I feel like this is uh it's just it's just boring to me. It's just boring to me. I just I I can't find the energy to care about it. For me to move exactly. on. Well, folks, that does it this week for the DC3 cast. Thank you for listening. We are uh, appreciative. We have to get to 1,500 downloads so we can get our tattoos. Um, no, I'm teasing. We have to get our eyes near for our tattoos uh, on the tips of our noses. So we will say, oh, is that a pimple on your nose? No, it's a tiny telos. Get out of our restaurant, <laughs> sir. You presume we're allowed in public after this happens. <laughs> it's, it's a poor assumption, my friend. Uh, no, uh, but thank you guys for listening. We, we do truly appreciate it. 
Uh, go to multiversitycomics.com. Check out all the other Multiversity podcasts. Check out... Uh, we, we have a really fun week coming up the first week of February. We're starting to prep for. Should be a good time. And uh, until then, you can find the three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app. I'm at VJ underscore. No, I'm not. I'm at Vince Ostrowski. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'm at Sir Fox 89. And we'll be back next week with uh... stuff. <laughs> I guess ne- next week is not when we're starting our Shade the Changing Man, right? That's two weeks from now. Okay. Two weeks from now. So uh, we'll be back with more DC Comics next week. Enjoy. Ne- next week is more Doom Clock. Ah, yes. Doomsday Clock. The Great Equalizer. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Right. Good night, everybody. The real twist is when he says that the cat is male.